0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Brody, virtually this time, and Silas behind the producer booth. Uh, we got quite the show in store this week, but Brody, where are you at on the, on tour this week? Where, where are you staying right now?
1: We're still in the Texas swing, so we are down a little south of Waco. We are in the beautiful city of Belton. Some of us are also in Temple, which is just like a, the bigger city, I guess, mm. outside of Belton.
0: Nice. So, yeah, the Open and Belton, it's a yeah. silver series coming up this weekend. Uh, how's the course and everything playing? You're saying it's pretty windy down there.
1: Yeah. So, this was, it's been interesting to see the transition of this course over the last couple of years. I played it, I want to say, two years ago when it was just an A tier and it was towards the end of the season. So, I want to say it was like October or November. And then it was on the Silver Series for the first time last year. And now it's back to the Silver Series. And it, I haven't been to every every uh, tour stop yet. So it's hard to say, but it might be, it might have like the best staff year mm. round. The amount of changes that they put in, the amount of money and just sweat that they put into the course you can tell and so it's definitely a fun course because i i, I still think with how much disc golf has changed over the last couple of years i still think courses are have not caught up yet mm. and so belton is continuing to change year after year um where you know some courses you know have just stayed the same but it's it's cool to see The changes and we can we can talk a little bit about those too if you're interested but um yeah it's it's gonna be another windy one i think saturday saturday will be the only day with minimal wind and by that i mean like 10 to 15 miles per hour friday it's gonna be gusting sunday it's gonna be gusting um so we're not we're not getting out of the winds anytime soon
0: uh, do you think it's a type of like course that could make it onto the pro tour, like full on st- tour stop in the future, or is it not quite that caliber?
1: See, that's an interesting one because the I think to me the question is like what what constitutes a pro like a elite series versus mm-hmm. a silver series. Does the surrounding area come into play? Because Belton and Temple is a much smaller disc golf community mm. than waco is and waco's i feel like close enough to dallas where people would be able to drive down for the day to watch yeah and belton is you know i think another 30 or 40 minutes south of waco so is that something that factors in of like how many people around the areas are going to come out i don't know i'm not entirely sure but as far as the course and as far as the staff on the grounds, it 100% has the potential of becoming an Elite Series event.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking toward like the crowds and stuff, I heard that Waco was sold out. That's what they were like pushing and promoting. Uh, what did a sold-out spectator gallery look like? Like, Were you able to see like what lead card and stuff like that or even the FPO lead, what they had? Was it something... I mean, on, on coverage, it didn't look like anything crazy like we hadn't seen before. But did mm-hmm. you notice more on the ground or what was it like?
1: yeah well fortunately for me I was I was a little bit far back from the lead card so um, but but I did kind of see remnants of some of the crowds and stuff I, the thing that kind of stood out to me the most was leaving the tournament and the field that I want to say two years ago that we used to warm up mm-hmm. which is you, it's basically the same field that on hole, is it six? the The par four that you basically like throw out the yeah. tunnel into the field. Yeah, yeah. Some guys were getting it, and then it's got the big dip. Yep. That field kind of like that's almost kind of like it's like, almost like a green belt, I guess you could say that just runs all the way down. They use they kind of blocked off that obviously spot for uh, the hole uh, for that hole, mm-hmm. but. That whole place was
0: packed oh, with cars.
1: And so that's how I noticed the big difference was leaving and just seeing how many cars was on were there. Yeah. Um there there were a lot of people a lot of people on the grounds for sure. Um and they were pretty much spread out too. I think a lot of people were posted up at 18, which was cool to see. People were just sitting there on the on the hillside kind of watching everyone go through 18. A lot of people were watching 17 as well. Um, I don't think they let people go down, or at least in my group, they didn't let people go down 16 because that's where all like the player parking was. Okay, yeah. But other than that, there was a lot of fans for sure. And again, like I was never towards the lead card at all. I think the closest I got was the first day. Um and, uh, there were a lot of people hanging around after the round, uh, for autographs and pictures and stuff, which is not usual, I would say in other tournaments. And I don't know if that's because when Lee card goes into the woods, you can't follow them. And so there was just a lot of people that were kind of just hanging around, not really knowing, you know, where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there was a lot of people on the ground and I know for, the first day, we had a big group following us, and then even the second and third day when, you know, especially the third day when I was pretty much out of the tournament, um, I want to say we still had 30, 40 people probably walking with us for the first couple holes. So, there was definitely, definitely a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of spectators, um, and, the, and the, the weather was not good either. Yeah, so. No. Uh, they were. There were a lot of people that were just kind of manning up, going out there and watching.
0: So walk us. You got to walk us through your play. You mentioned it several times. What What went wrong out there? Um. The
1: I mean, the easiest one. The easiest things to talk about were hole four, hole nine, and hole ten. Those three holes are holes that. I mean, hole nine is difficult, obviously. It's it's that par four where there really isn't a, really isn't a line. It's kind of just like hope and pray. You don't hit any of the trees in the fairway. Um, it's the one that's used to be a par five down, and then like it shoots off to the right. Um, and then hole 10 is the next hole where you just have to throw out the gap, and then it kind of opens up into the grass area, and there's a couple trees you need to miss. But it's a pretty short par four uh and then hole four is the first hole in the woods where it's just like a hyzer buzz 275 off the tee and then if you stay in the fairway then it's like a 225 foot forehand zone just around the corner Mm -hmm. um i played hole four uh i actually the first day I didn't throw a good tee shot on hole four. Like I, I want to say my average distance off the tee on hole four was probably 100 feet, and I was in the woods both times. The first day, I was able to kind of scramble out and then throw a third shot really close to where I had like a 40-footer stepper, and it hit chains, hit the cage, and then rolled down into the water, and then my putt back up for bogey, spit or for double, I guess, at that point, cuz yeah in and, uh no in and 4 out in 5 for double yeah spit out so then i tapped him for triple my first day um, the other two rounds again didn't get off the tee was just shanking shots the problem was i i was having like a, a two way miss on these like shots that you needed to just throw straight i i didn't know if it was going to go right or left mm. and it was definitely getting into my head yeah and um you know, hole hole nine, another one of where my average drive on that hole, maybe maybe a hundred feet as well, and hole ten, I want to say my average drive might have been like fifty feet, um, and and to the point too where I was like almost questioning, like should I just re tee because <laughs> the woods the woods are so bad in Waco, and so like I'm literally. <laughs> You know, I'm only fifty feet off the, off the tee, and I'm like having to throw like a super touchy tight gap just to get back into the into the fairway. Yeah. So I want to say those three holes, I lost 7, 11. I want to say I lost like fourteen strokes. Good night on those on those three holes. Um, the rest of the holes I actually played pretty well. Um, I made a mistake on the final day on hole two. I threw a drone into the wind instead of instead of a um, a raptor. And then the final, you know, I, I was able to battle back to one under par. The final round going into hole seventeen. Um, I was I, I kind of you know me. I love I love working on stuff leading into tournaments when mm-hmm. I figure out like oh I need I need to get better at this. Yeah, my forehand. My forehand uh, drives with like a fairway driver and a distance driver, those were things that I was spending a lot of time on leading into Waco. And I was actually throwing some pretty good ones, but uh, did not throw a good one the final day of 17. So I actually threw it pretty much out of bounds right where the uh, the ladies tee pad was, chipped, chipped one around to where you want to land, threw a really good, um, really good, Recovery shot and had a putt for bogey uh, inside the circle uh, was too high right and those those baskets if you're high right they they will not stay yeah so miss miss that putt for bogey and made double and then uh, final hole 18 I'm at plus one at this point I should have honestly probably just gone for it but it was like a 25 mile headwind and I saw. Gosh, who was it? It was someone right before me. might have been Coda Hatfield. Like, land 50 feet short. And I was like, okay. Um, I was playing with Adam Hammies, too, at the time. And he was like, I'm not going for it. So, I was like, all right. So, I just played the layup with my Captain Raptor. Had one of the most lazy, lackadaisical upshots of all time. um, Where, like... It was so far offline. It was literally like where players like are walking over, like that land bridge where players walk over to the oh, to the geez. green. Yeah, like it landed in the middle of that. Oh my god! And then it, it and it trickled down into the water. So now I'm throwing four, and I throw my I throw a scuba up there. You know, it's like a I have an 80, 90 footer. I and I was like no shot at, from that island looks good with a 25 mile an hour left to right wind. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, scuba, whatever, maybe it goes in. If not, I'm right around the basket, throw a scuba up there. It lands like maybe two or three feet past the basket and kind of flops a little bit. And then the wind gets it. And then it just rolls like 35 feet down into the water. Jeez. And so now I'm I'm staring at, you know, a 40 footer for triple bogey, uh, to finish. And luckily I was able to cash that in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it, my, that's how my, uh, final round. ended. it was with a double and a triple. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, the tournament was just one of those of where I wasn't the holes that you need to be able to get clean off the tee. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't. Oh, yeah. and, 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 uh, You know, you can just eat strokes up there. Like you look at the field, and there were there were uh, a lot of big name people that did not play well, Mm. and it's it's just it. It's uh, you know it's unfortunate because I love I love that course. Um, I thought I did a decent job actually of like weathering the storm the first day, and that was you know we talked about it too of where it was like if you can just battle the first day and get through it, you could potentially put yourself in a really good position. And, and there was a lot of people that did that, right? A lot yeah. of people that played really good the first day were able to kind of just coast day two and day three to a pretty high finish. And I I, I was unfortunately just made some big mistakes the first day to, to set me back. And uh, it just felt like, you know, I was clawing, trying to claw myself back in at the the rest of the tournament. But this is this is something interesting. What are your thoughts on uh, on cuts? Because I was talking to a couple other people, and the final round was really tough. Because with how these fields are getting now, obviously a couple people made moves. I played with like Zach Melton. I think he did. He end up cashing. I'm not sure. Did he fight himself way back? Let me see if he ended up cashing. But it with, with the fields the way they are, it's getting to the point of where, like, sometimes it just feels like, again, like, if you're out there for fun and you're out there to, like, get the full experience and you mm-hmm. want to play, you know, every round and stuff, like, okay, that I'm not talking about those people. Yeah. I'm talking about the people that, that are there to simply try to finish, you know, try to cash. Finish as high as possible, get as much points as possible, and if it's an off week for them, it's an off week. And uh, you know, if I could go back in time, I would much rather be able to come down the belt in a, a day early on Sunday, yeah, and not not have played Sunday.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think cuts yeah. are cuts are tough when it comes to uh, three round tournaments. I feel like just because like. I don't know. I like four rounds. Like Vegas, they did it after round three, which is the same as in a three-round tournament doing it after round two. But I, I mean, the only thing in disc golf is you can have on those final days, especially on some of these courses, people who are like on the cut line. You know, if you do a cut, it might be unfortunate for them because it's like they were just one decent round away. But I mean, there there are some players there this weekend that like after day one, they probably were like, "What is the point of playing the rest of this tournament?" Like I, I just blew up. So Why on Earth,
1: yeah. So I played with Zach Melton. He played really, really well the final round, and he he made cat. He was on the cash line. Yeah, and and he won two hundred fifty eight dollars. I think that is another thing too that we need to talk about is perspective. The perspective of of making two hundred fifty eight dollars more and more like eventually it's going to come to the point if, if the purses don't keep going up and players though, keep getting these bigger contracts and bigger contracts, like it's going to be interesting because the, some of the people I talk to, for example, they aren't the pros that are in need of that $258, right? Like to them, it was, it probably would have been more beneficial for them to have an extra day to either recover or work mm. on whatever it was that was off to get ready for the next event than to grind and try to battle back to win 258 bucks. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be an interesting story uh, moving forward just because I think more and more players are going to get to that point of where, you know, the $258 is not the make or break for them. And so they would much rather have that time to um to work on their game yeah you know
0: yeah no it's definitely interesting it's definitely an interesting thing to think through and i think the cuts will be something that come eventually uh because i mean you've already seen it implemented some here and there and i definitely think it's something that's a overall good thing for the game um or for the the pro game pro tour but yeah i mean it's just a fine a fine line i think because you know some players right now i think is what you're saying is right Is like as the sport grows that $258 in last cash like that's going to mean a lot less than getting a day of practice in but right now there's players who like that could mean like whether they get get an Airbnb at the next tour event or not um is that 258 but it's also like if you're a player who like let's say that you're someone who has a six-figure deal or like a decent guarantee and you find yourself below the cash line going into the final round and it's going to take like a 10 11 under to get there your mind's probably already on the next tour event because you don't need that two hundred fifty eight dollars. You're not grinding like you're gonna go out and you're gonna play well and you're gonna be in tournament mode. So it's just, but it's almost like another practice round if you're far enough out of it and you don't need that cash to where you know you might as well go practice the course you're about to play versus just getting another round in on the course you're at currently. Just because like at that point, no one's gonna look at at your score like if if you're worried about what people are gonna perceive like people are gonna think oh wow he finished awful in 45th the same way they're gonna think oh wow he finished awful in 35th like both were bad finishes if if you're a player who's like trying to be a top 10 top 20 guy and so like it's not like you're gonna go out and be like dang thank goodness I shot that seven under and got myself up 10 places into 35th place on the final day it's like okay well you you still finish in 35th like it it's hard to have motivation that far down
1: I think I think it I think it's lower than that because I think there are tour points out that I guess that's true tour foreign. points tour yeah. points I'm not thinking when you're when you're yeah when you're 35th like the money obviously between uh, let's look the money between 35th uh, and last cash so 35th was four hundred dollars last cash was tied for 44th at two fifty eight so a hundred a hundred and forty dollars more. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't really care about that, like that difference. But the points yeah. that you get for a thirty-fourth, I think that matters. I think, I think the thing is like outside of cash.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to talk outside I, of cash. I just used wrong numbers because of how big the fields are. Yeah, I think, I think fiftieth
1: and eightieth, like, yeah, no real difference between those two. Yeah. So, and and, and looking at this too, this is what's kind of crazy. Is just how good these fields are getting like if you start looking at who didn't cash you know if you use that line of like okay who was outside of cash like you start looking down here and like uh, there are there are people that you've heard of no yeah um that uh that uh, you know i think and this is what we kind of talked about earlier Uh, maybe two podcasts ago of where right now there's so much of this like, Oh my gosh, like I can't believe this. Like what? But this is, this is the norm. This is, this is anything. It's going to get worse as far as like where you're saying like this person is, should be finishing in the top 20 every single time. If they don't, they suck. Like that narrative is going to slowly change because of just how good these fields are getting that, and of and course, like Waco is is also it's a little bit different because if you're off at all, mm-hmm.
2: it, it,
1: it, you you can just blow up out there. And so we saw, you know, myself included, we saw people that just didn't have a great. A great day or a great tournament and you can't sneak by with a seven under and other guys are shooting 10, 11, 12 and you're still in it like that's where guys are still going to shoot seven and eight and now you're shooting plus one plus two plus three and now you know you just lost 10 strokes yeah you're pretty much out yeah so
0: no it happened it happens yeah. quick on a course like Waco um but one thing too I noticed is so like last week obviously we talked about the new trash can koozie whatever you want to call around the bottom of the basket um yeah what was the, so what was now, the thought on that as to say so now we've gotten through the coverage and you've got to play on them uh through the coverage, honestly, I didn't really notice them. They, they, I thought the only thing I noticed was it was a lot easier to see the sponsorship on there. Uh, so I think that the from a okay. from a so company it was easier for you to see that. Oh, a, a ton easier. Uh, it, yeah, okay. I mean, because you could see it like on That's the good. the small koozie, the like rectangular one that they've used before, which they still had on some holes. Um, you could see it when players were like putting inside the circle. But on this one, like, if they're zooming in, following an upshot and stuff like that, the logo is just so much bigger. It's a lot easier to see. And on camera, nice. it didn't it didn't play too bad. Like, I, I didn't at any point think, oh, gosh, those things look awful. They, it, there's one or two where the space between the bottom of the basket and the top yes. of the trash can or whatever you want to call it was pretty drastic. But if you weren't looking for it and you weren't, like, trying to be critical paying attention to it, it, it didn't take away from my viewership uh, experience at all. So... I don't know if you playing on them throughout a week changed your mind on them at all, but throughout it, I think that there's something better they could do, but I don't hate it. It wasn't it wasn't awful. It wasn't as bad as the picture originally like made it seem when I just saw just one picture of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, playing wise, it didn't affect it. I think I heard one person complain about it about how like it ricocheted off yeah. um, one of one of their putts. But other than that, playing oh, if wise, you got a if you had a putt that's I'd... hitting
0: that low, I mean you're just playing with danger yeah, at that I mean,
1: point. Yeah, it was already a bad putt. So <laughs> I, I didn't notice. I, for me, I didn't notice anything.
0: The other thing that I noticed on coverage that was a little bit confusing on coverage, but I feel like might have been a, a, affected a player more than me watching. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. Is this year I noticed that on, specifically on 17 and 18, they had that wall that looked like it was the OB line, but then they pulled the actual painted OB line like a foot off of it. Does that sound, mm-hmm. like? Did you notice that? Was that ever confusing of like a shot looked safe to you and then you realized, oh, shoot, that's OB or like a shot that was rolling that might have curled up and hit the wall <laughs> and then fell OB?
1: So th- I would say that is one thing that I like about the walls is that when they have it on the OB, it can sometimes protect really bad shots from going OB. Yeah. Right? So the fact that it's pulled off now it, it doesn't protect that, right? If you throw a roller and it's just like the wrong angle and it's just gone with the wall, you have a potential of it landing and then saving you, right? Mm-hmm. Where I I like the fact that it doesn't protect bad shots. I will say too, for, for those two scenarios that you just gave, the OB is so far out of play that it doesn't... Like, if you're going, I went OB long on 18, for example, um, I think the first day, actually. It's like, it wasn't, the that doesn't affect my shot or my thought process or anything. I thought the disc was going to dump way more. The wind held it up, and so I'm OB. I don't think it's nearly as bad as... If anything, you can kind of give like a reference uh, if they use that in the future. You can kind of get a reference. okay like we all know the OB is a meter off that that uh that wall, mm. so you guys, it gives you a good visual reference of it. Um, I much rather like that than just a line that is you know Las Vegas for example. Uh, Hole one on Infinite, they just had like a string down the right hand side, and you couldn't see it from. The Uh So it was very, unless, unless you like kind of went up there and looked and saw where the OB was and then like, you know, made sure like, okay, it's just right of this bush. When you got on the T, you couldn't see the line. And that, that line was only 25 paces, uh, maybe less 20 paces off the basket. So a lot of people were throwing that direction at OB and then having it come in. I think that's a bigger problem. Then like on hole 17, 18, you know, the only time the that wall comes into play is when you throw a really, really bad shot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I just noticed you know? it on coverage because like there were several shots that curled up and everything like it just looked fine. Like it wasn't it wasn't a great shot because it was way to the right or long, but it curled up, and then the commentary would be like, I think that's gonna be OB. And like from the co- from watching on coverage, I was like what are you talking about? Like, it's, uh, it's shy of the wall. It doesn't make any sense. And they would show, and sure yeah. enough, the wall, the line's just painted a foot in front. And so my thought process, which I get what you're saying kind of makes sense. But like, to me, I just feel like if you're going to use the wall, the wall should be the OB line. And if you're worried about not wanting to protect rollaways or players taking advantage and throwing rollers, then that's not a hole you use a wall on, is how I would think about it. Cause like hole one, for instance, wasn't the line on the wall. Cause like there were shots that rolled down well, and hit the yeah, wall and then stayed. Well,
1: you need, yeah, you need the wall in hole one because they they pulled the line off last year. Yeah, and it made it made that hole too fluky, right? Because some shots would land because again, it's different if the ground was pristine, right? If we're all throwing shots into the same exact ground yeah. where the ground is like green, a green on in golf where everything's the same, basically then sure it's on us to control our angle and making sure that it doesn't roll away. Yeah. But when the ground is, you know, patchy with grass, some are dirt spots, some are whatever. And two shots that look almost identical angle, speed, all that stuff come in and hit. But because they hit one inch apart from one each other and one gets up and rolls and one doesn't, that's where like the flukiness comes in. So I think I like the wall on hole one because it protects a good shot. If yeah. A good shot on hole one is a hyzer out to the side that knifes in and lands on that hillside and doesn't skip up, out, left, OB. And if it just lands and putters and sits right there, you have a putt. If it does end up rolling down, I had one roll down. I had like a 20-footer. Yeah. Um, I like that because it rewards good shots. I don't like where – having the wall on the OB line protects or potentially helps bad shots from not going OB. I, I think bad shots need to get punished and, and you should never get in a situation where two people throw bad shots and one person gets punished and the other one gets lucky because it hits the wall and stays in. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think both those shots should get punished. So yeah. that's where I do like it being off. Um, if well, that makes
0: sense. Yeah, that no, definitely makes sense. I think the only other thing that confused me about it, and then we'll jump to the next topic, was that it wasn't consistent. So like hole one, as a viewer, I watch a disc roll, hit yes. the wall and fall. It's inbounds. Then hole 17, as a viewer, I watch, I mm-hmm. think it might have been one of Paul's shots, but I watch someone's shot skip up, roll right next to the wall, and then it's out of bounds. And so I don't know if there's a better way that they can market so that the camera's clear or... I don't know, I didn't, because uh, it was also hard for me to tell, like, is that just because of the way the camera is, and it's, uh, for players, it's obvious, or is it something that, like, no. needs to have, like, I, I don't even, because if you put a marking in front of it, then you're essentially blocking the advertisements that's on the Doing wall, the same thing. and so, like, I don't know mm. if it's something, like, maybe they could do those little, uh, like, what they use to mark the circle, or something, some type of visual, I think, would would definitely aid in my issue as a viewer, just because, like. And I might be the only one that was getting confused, but there were just times where a shot would roll up against a wall and I'm like, it just depends on what hole we're standing on, if that's OB or that's safe. And the first time it happened, it confused yeah. me. It confused the crap out of me. Because I was like, why on earth is that OB? And then I saw where the line was painted off. But no, no what what you're saying makes, definitely makes sense. That makes
1: sense. a lot of sense. Yeah, what you're saying too makes sense of where it is confusing to to the viewer, and I'm sure to the commentary booth, too, of knowing, like, is that in balance or not? Yeah. Um, Belton has, like, the little, like, painter flags all over the place. Yeah. Is that the look that I like? I don't know, because it does look like there's, like, you know, someone going to come out and, like, paint or yeah, someone's like, going to do something. You're, like,
0: marking a gas line or something. Like, ir- irrigation, yeah, exactly.
1: They do have it for... Um, I mean, I think, again, there's a silver series, not an elite series. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if the elite series continue to use the kind of uh, fencing or whatever you want, roping that they used at Vegas, because I thought that looked really clean and looked good. Here, it looks like they're just doing pink flags for like spectators and white flags for OB. Um, I don't think it looks nearly as good. To have just flags all over the place, yeah. But visually, I can kind of understand it might it might be better for the viewer at home to to see whether or not a disc is in bounds or not.
0: Well, it's tough too, because like when it, it, obviously what like looks the nicest is like some form of stake or something like that. But you also don't want to put something down that could affect the play, where you know you mm-hmm. both throw the same shot and one skips into the stake and Because ste- like the land, the flags they don't look good but they're not going to affect a shot if a disc hits it it's going to take like very very rarely is that thing sturdy enough that it's keeping a disc in bounds or vice versa so you don't because you yeah. don't, don't want something where a disc is hyzering in it's going to be in bounds no doubt and then hits a stake so i that's what i was trying to figure out of like some sort of a solution that doesn't take away from the look of the course but makes it where when you're on coverage it's obvious where the ob line is for viewers just cause I mean, I think, and obviously they should be focused more on how it's playing for players and that side of it before they worry about the viewers. Cause it's such, that's such a small mm-hmm. thing in it in the comment as long as the commentators understand, okay, hole 17, it's a foot off and hole one, it's not, then they can clearly relay that information. But, uh, I don't know. It's just something that, something I noticed while I was watching and I thought it seemed frustrating, but, uh, what you're saying makes sense from a player's point of view. Um, yeah. One final thing before we get into... We have a few voice memos, and we're also going to hear from the chat, hear what they've got to say. Uh, UDISC actually had one of their do- data science- scientists reach out to me um, after last week's Ooh. episode to explain a little bit more on the world rankings. So they're explaining some of the questions oh, that we had. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to just kind of read a little bit of a portion of the email. They explained the Paul situation, too. Um, but uh, basically one of their, their strongest argument was it happens in other sports, especially in golf. They literally showed me where it happened, where a player didn't show up, and another player who was world number one did, and they flip-flopped. And I was like, okay, well, it's just something that I'm just not used to because the sports I watch are basketball when it's like, I guess basketball kind of happens. If, well, no, the team's not going to lose number one if they didn't play that week. But it, it is what it is. So I just think it's an individual sport thing that I'm just not used to. Could but the it, rest of the it, stuff. It, yeah, it could theoretically, I guess,
1: happen in like college football, where like if there was like a number two and a number three playing, and like the number two just destroys number three, you could see them maybe jump. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's not it's not the most common thing to see.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if it if it's happening in other sports, I mean, it it is what it is. Like it's just something. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, like that's just something that it was the first time I'd seen it. But the um. Uh, this is what they said. So they said, Brody brought up a hypothetical situation where the top seven ranked players finish a tournament in that order, followed by Jared Stoll, then followed by Adam Hammes. Would Adam is ranking Plummet in that scenario? The answer is no. And they gave two examples as to why. So they said, for a real-life example, mm. Luke Humphries, this is, this was, they emailed this before Waco happened. Um, they said, for a real-life example, Luke Humphreys previs- previously ranked 66th at LVC, finished 4th. And Tristan Tanner, previously ranked 112th, finished 6th. Calvin Heimberg finished just ahead, and Adam Hammes finished just behind. Adam only dropped one spot and 1.23 dominance index despite losing to players much lower ranked than himself. Just for fun, I also decided to stimul- simulate the Jared Stoll scenario. That is a hypothetical tournament that consists of the 162 ranked MPO players where they all finish and order their world ranking except, yeah. for, except for Jared Stoll comes in 8th ahead of Adam Hammes. In that scenario, Adam is actually gains a small fraction in the dominance index due to all the people that he still beat and doesn't move any ranking spots. Oh. And then he went on to further farther explain. He said, as a more extreme example, Andrew Marweed finished 49th at LVC, only dropped one, spo- one spot in 2.3 dominance index this illustrates the fact that the system is actually relatively protective against a fluky bad performance. If Marwee continues to underper- underperform, then his ranking and dominance index will continue to gradually drop. The trade-off here here is a fluky good performance can result in a bigger upward jumps. We noticed some in- instances where these jumps were a little too extreme last season, so we made a few tweaks in the offseason to mitigate them. You can see this blog post, and they link to that. Uh, and Keep an eye out for a more detailed explanation coming soon. They also said they also addressed oh. my point of the... Uh, the PDGA Heck being yeah. easier to visually like see what's going to happen week to week, and they said they addressed it in two ways. They said they felt like you either had to have a really statistically accurate one or a very visible one, and they said they chose to go with the statistically accurate because they felt like they could find ways to make that more visible versus a visible one is harder to make it statistically accurate. So basically, a visible they're saying like one that's really easy to see and comprehend and know, like, oh, if Brody just places here, he's going to be here. Um, yeah, they chose to go more, more like scientific. an algorithm. Correct, yeah. but they did say that they're working on over, I think they said over the next few weeks or month, uh, they're working on different things that will help make their dominance index a lot more visual so that you can see how, uh, I don't know if it's going to be an article or something on the actual ranking, but it'll be a lot easier for you to see how tournaments directly affect so you can get a better understanding of like what a player if a player plays really well and beats certain people how they can move so they did say they're coming out with like some mm. more explanation on that so they basically addressed every point that we had brought up which i wonder was cool the only thing
1: i have is i wonder how strength of field is uh i mean i guess that is that's their whole that's their whole world ranking
0: is strength that's of field. their
1: whole thing is- is basically like who it's you beat. It's just who you
0: beat, yeah. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I also saw, I didn't have time to look into this, so maybe yeah. it's something we look at next week, but uh, I saw where Stat Mando just came out with their own world ranking. So
1: Yeah, that's basically the same one as, as Ezra's brother has his own rankings that he showed me too, and that's very similar. And I'm wondering how much different that is than Udis, because if Udis goes off of strength of field... That's what this one really matters too. is like, you know, getting, uh, you know, let's say getting third at Waco should hold a lot more or should, should matter more than getting third at LVC because the field was better at Waco.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing Uh, that I like about, cause they also set made a good point of, um, why the world ranking should be more important than the pro tour points. Or what, or uh, a point system like that, is They're basically saying like, Eagle shouldn't be penalized and lose spots in the world ranking because he doesn't show up for two tournaments. But if he continues to not show up, then eventually he would drop off the world ranking altogether, and then he would have to play up to that eight tournament threshold to readjust his dominance index before he showed back up. So they're basically saying like, because like, Interesting. that is a good point of like, if you look at the um. If you look at the Pro Tour points right now, I believe Luke Humphries is in the lead and Calvin Heimburg second, but they're not mm-hmm. really number one and two in the world. If you went to a world ranking, because there there are players in the world better than them, and so I think that's where well, they're saying the world, the world ranking over points is
1: also based off of last year too.
0: It factors in last year, yeah. But as it goes on, they were they also said that it's not inherently weighted year to year. But he was trying he was talking math, so it was above my head, but. It essentially is weighted, so the the more recent tournaments mean a lot more and so than the previous tournaments, so the more recent okay. tournaments you play, the more it's going to affect you. but he was basically saying like that's why world ranking is more important than a point system is just because like a, t- a player isn't going to be punished just because they didn't show up to like two yeah. or three pro tours in a row like e- Eagle might end up by the end of the Texas swing outside of the top thirty two when everyone knows he's not a thirty fifth best player in the world it's just because that's why the point system isn't really going to work well when you're trying to determine the best players in the world.
1: That's kind of wild to think about. I, I you just saying that I didn't really think about it, but literally, Luke Humphreys is like in 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 a 2022 algorithm. Luke Humphreys is the number one player in the world.
0: Essentially, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, if you were just, if, if literally the world rankings just started this year in 2022, he's, he's the number one player in the world.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think that's why the that's PDGA. Cur- that's wild. I think that's why the PDGA isn't crazy. updating because the PDGA is based on the current year. And so I think that's why they're waiting oh, through the major because it's based on like your top 10 elite series, all this stuff. And it doesn't factor so in your previous would year. Jump
1: really cr- so things would jump crazy Correct. week after week because there's so little. Data okay. early, yeah. That That's why they're so, waiting till after so just, a major
0: to update that.
1: Okay, so that they, that they wait that way, they have like six six or f- yeah. five tournaments. That or whatever is enough, under the oh. under
0: exactly. There's enough stuff to factor in that it's not gonna. You're not gonna have wild outliers. You'll you'll have a good tell of how the the season's going. So, and it might just be something yeah. where like if you're able to easily understand the differences between all of them, you can use like U disk as the like true world ranking. And then you can use like the PDGA as like the 2022 best players, and then you can use the Pro Tour mm-hmm. as the Pro Tour of like players who are going to make the finale. Basically, so they just all are what they are, and comparing them is when it just gets too confusing because they're almost all trying to accomplish different things.
1: Yeah, and I think the Pro Tour, the Pro Tour points and stuff that doesn't really come into play until like half the season is done. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's like, not once
1: totally. half once yeah, once half the season is is complete, then you can start looking and start seeing what's what's going on. Um, so h- h- question for you guys, you guys basically talked a little bit in griplock saying how if you use Vegas and you use Waco and you use those two tournaments to see how you know someone performs, you you were saying how that could be a good indicator of where people are moving forward. Mm-hmm. Do you see a- after the finishes now, do you do you stand by that? Or are you still kind of like, I kind of need to see a little bit more? Because you know, someone like a Luke Humphreys did really well at both. Yeah. So is that going to be someone that is going to be a player and a contender throughout the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, I think it's more it's more of an eye test than anything because there's some players that are gonna like not perform well at both tournaments, but are gonna still be able to perform well. But I think that it's more so like both tournaments allow themselves to have breakout players that can really sway your per- like sway your perception of that player mm-hmm. when in reality they're just really good at an open course and they're not gonna be good at Waco or vice versa. So a player like Luke Humphries, who is now proven to be able to compete at the top level at both of these courses. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if his average finish on the Pro Tour for this year was in the top 20 or top 15. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't surprise me now because he's proven both weeks in a row, the two times he's been put to the test, that he can step up. Now, obviously, I do think that there's going to come a tournament where he might miss cash or be a lot lower in the leaderboard. For sure. But that's for just sure. that's just the nature of the game. So I don't think he's going to be like a top five. He's in there every week you know, with the contention to win. But I think that... Like Tristan Tanner, for instance, I don't know where he finished at Waco, but I didn't really hear his name much. Um, I might have pulled it up.
1: Yeah, I think he finished one I think he finished one stroke behind me. He didn't have a good turn.
0: Yeah, so that's that's exactly so that type of player is exactly what I'm saying there is like great there, performance at Vegas, not a great performance at Waco. Let's not get too hyped on him. Luke Humphreys, great performance yeah, Ga- at both. Gan- it's Gan- time to start getting hyped a little Gan- bit. Gannon Burr had a Gan- solid Gan- performance did- at Waco, top twenty five. I think he finished twenty fifth. Oh, and did
1: he? Did he? How did he play on? How did he play on round? He played well in round three. I think he and played. Moved up he played bunch?
0: solid. Yeah, he played solid. Because I mean, and, and nice. he. So I think Gannon, though, you also have to factor in a little bit of last year. It's more so true for breakout players because you can also like, if you took like Ricky for instance, you can't look at these two tournaments and think Ricky's never gonna not like Ricky's gonna eventually get things figured out. He's Ricky. Same thing, like calvin obviously had just mm-hmm. one bad round at vegas but it makes it feel like he had like the how bad the round was makes it feel like he had an awful vegas but then he didn't play great at waco yeah. but he's the same type of player of like you got to use the history it's more for breakout players like luke Humphreys, like tristan tanner uh joel freeman's been was having back to back back two tournaments back to back was it
1: was there anyone that like surprised you that finished high at Waco that did that that wasn't on your radar because it like they didn't do anything at Vegas but they they, they did well at Waco?
0: Let me let me pull up the Waco results really quick. Um, cuz I I mean it Ooh. I think that uh I'd have to look through but like Isaac Robinson for instance, I don't know if he was at Vegas. He's a player that has been solid for I don't years believe so. but never been crazy good and he was up there at uh at waco skills alex russell uh let's see if he was at vegas he was at vegas 39th at vegas top 10 at waco he was another player he was actually nice. a dark horse pick so that came through Dang, he
1: got sneaky up there yeah i didn't, I didn't hear about that guy
0: yeah um and so mason ford started his season out and but it wasn't really a surprise to see him that's not kind of farther that's not up.
1: surprising man. uh
0: clay edwards no. was surprising just because he no was able to, that is. yeah, he was able to kind of get up into the top ten at times. I think it, at one point, I think he might even been in the top three during like the middle of a round. Um, but I don't think he played Vegas. No, he didn't. Mm. So this was his uh, Waco was like his opening. He played thirty eighth at Memorial though. I, the week before,
1: I will say though, Waco. Waco's kind of like. Did you watch the Players Championship
0: though at all? Not really. No, I saw weekend? highlights here and there. Okay, Waco. It might be a little
1: more. I could be wrong, but it might be a little more fluky than you th- than you think. Oh
0: no, I know. I I fully know Waco's fluky. That's kind of why I'm saying. No, 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 I'm talking
1: about this year because Oh, of even the more weather. so because because there were some people that got really good draws, and they yeah. like the times that they played, um, and just with how the wind was when when the wind is like stupid gusty you might get to a hole and be able to throw your shot and there not be any wind. Mm-hmm. And then other people go that same hole and there's stupid wind. And so that's where I was like, when the weather is that extreme and that crazy, it can be a little fluky for some people. Yeah. Cause they might be able to go out early and you know, they might've been able to get out early when the wind was 15 to 20 miles per hour versus in the afternoon, it was 20 to 35 now, obviously, there were still people that shot really, really well in the twenty-five, twenty-five to thirty-five. Um, but something to think about too of where uh, watching the players, there were some people that just got absolutely dominated by the weather.
0: Yeah, I think in the tw- so, in one of my Twitter spaces, someone brought up. I think it was a Twitter space. I don't think it was on debate night, uh, but someone brought up like flipping the tee times, right? Of like you basically have the two that's pools. what i
1: think should happen in the future but for sure yeah. at
0: waco i don't think that would have done anything because day one no. it was awful weather it was bad too it was calm
1: no, it was bad yeah it was bad
0: it was bad for everyone well um, but the morning rounds had warmer temperatures and less wind i think they might have had a little more rain but they did have those two on yeah. the morning round on friday but Saturday, if you flip-flop, like, everyone was getting pretty much, it seemed like weather-wise from the weather app, obviously I wasn't there, it seemed like on Saturday pretty much everyone was dealt the same hand is what it kind of seemed like. You might have had a little bit of temperature variance, but it seemed like yeah. pretty pretty consistent across. So I'm like, somewhere like Waco, where that fixes a problem, Of like standard, you know, windy in the afternoon, calm in the morning. It fixes that problem, but whenever you have weird weather, it kind of throws that whole idea out the window. Because if one day has Mm -hmm. crap weather, then you can flip flop all you want, but someone's going to be dealt a better hand than someone else, and there's no way around it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's part of the draw. I mean that 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 happens. Um, Yeah, but I was just saying that might be something to consider looking at Waco. Of um, like I said before if you were able to manage so many people got blown up the first day at Waco yeah um if you were able to somehow manage to get through a couple under par uh you, you were kind of ahead of the pack there yeah so no, something for
3: sure. right, real quick I want to give a shout out to D Lillo with the five dollars he says Brody you were getting a ton of birdies this weekend you have a you had a couple bad holes each round. Otherwise, you were top ten. What are you working on? Uh, so things I've been working on.
1: Um, the, the last two days here in wait uh, in Belton have been really windy as well. So I'm really trying to figure out the best discs to best discs and like release points. And just like launch angles to keep the disc in bounds. Um, if you know, if you look at my stats from this past weekend, it's pretty clear to see where I lost all my strokes. And uh, let me pull them up real quick, so I I'm giving accurate accurate results here. Uh, oh, what the heck? That's interesting. They already have have Belton up, which is nice. Oh, nice. Okay. So we go into Waco. Uh, Here we go. Um, So if you look at it, gain putting, I was 11th. Gain circle two, I was six in the field. Gained circle one X. I was thirty third, not that great. There was a couple putts that I wish I could have back in the circle, but putting really good, really really good. Uh, I was forty first in the field. Well, that's that's not a real stat. Uh, <laughs> What's that <let's> stat? <laughs> well, it's parked, and it's like uh, not. Yeah, it's a very hard. It's a very hard stat for for the UDIS volunteers to to t- say whether or not you're parked. But the ones, the ones that stand out to me is the OB. I threw nine OB shots. I was 95th in the field with that. And then the other one that stands out is uh, circle one in regulation. I was 35% uh, at 78% so or 78th in the field. So I just wasn't getting off the tee that well and i wasn't putting myself in enough positions to make birdies and then you know you look at it i just took too many big numbers round one i took a triple and three doubles and a bogey round two i actually played decently i took one bogey and a double and then round three i took two doubles three bogeys and a triple so a lot of it, I think, is just figuring out how to keep the disc in play, and not worrying about like how do I get down the fe- down the fairway as far as possible. Sometimes it's better to throw something four hundred feet off the tee in the fairway than trying to throw something four seventy five and risk being ob. So that's something I've been working on a lot in Belton. And then the other thing I've been working on too is I feel like my step putt actually was, is pretty good in the wind, but my circle one putting um, was a little shaky in the wind. So I've been uh, adjusting uh, my grip a little bit and my my pull, uh, like my fault, not my fall through, but my reach. I don't even call it. My backswing, I guess you could say. Uh, and it's, it's popping off my hand a lot better. So it's not getting those, it's not getting the wobbles cause the wobbles in the wind just kind of kill your putting. Mm-hmm. And then my four, my forehand, I'm continuing to grind on that. So continuing to try to get better and better, um, at releasing, at releasing that. So yeah, yeah. All, there's obviously all tons of stuff to constantly be working at.
3: Awesome. There you have it.
0: All right, let's get a few voice memos here and then, um, while we do these voice memos, if you all who are watching live want to put some debate topics and stuff in the chat, Silas will be monitoring that and pick out a few after we go through yeah. two or three Let's voice do this.
3: memos. Uh, if you have a debate topic, just tag us in the topic. That way we know it's a debate topic. Oh, there you have it. So in the chat, if you're in the chat, just tag at
0: Foundation Podcast, right? right, Silas? Yeah, yeah at, at Foundation fun- Podcast. Yeah, at Foundation Podcast, and then... Uh, Silas will be able to look at that. and bring. You'll actually be able to see the comments on the screen if you're watching live. If you're listening on audio, same experience as always. Uh, But Silas, is my phone good to go?
3: Yep, it is good to go. Uh,
0: I must say, some of these I starred for last week's episode or two weeks ago's episode, so I'm about to be surprised by these topics as well. But uh, I screened them at some point, so who knows what's about to come on here. This one's from Michael Miller.
2: So I just watched Ezra's in-the-bag video, and he has like 35 discs in it. Which seems just absolutely absurd to have so many discs for a professional player. I think you guys have talked about disc limits in the past, and I would not gonna go as far as say fifteen discs in the bag as a limit, but maybe like twenty. I think you should do this because this way it will not only challenge players to maybe throw more unique shots with discs that they wouldn't normally do. But then also it would add a mental game of deciding which discs do you want in your bag for which tournament. And it would probably uh make it more change up the bags of players from week to week so you're not necessarily seeing the exact same shots maybe some courses are more Heiser flips some are just more hyzer fests and rollers what are your thoughts on that
0: so there you have it basically just disc limits he's saying he felt like ezra's bag of 35 seemed kind of outrageous so what are the thoughts on putting a disc limit in place uh i i love it i love Mm, the idea interesting i actually Um, thought you were gonna i thought you weren't gonna like it
1: no i i love the idea because exactly what he said i think it would increase the imagine imagination and the creative shot shaping for players i think right now a lot of people can um and i mean i have i have Gosh, I have maybe 3 or 4, maybe 5 discs in my bag that are like very specific for one shot. Mm. And I think he's right in thinking like it would be like a mental thing of like okay, if we can only have 15 discs, like what discs am I bringing? But then so what happens think, if what happens think, if your
0: overstable driver goes in the water?
1: Well, you might need to bring two then if there's water potential you know oh, you might need to have, a yeah. backup
0: that's where my head goes because like obviously in golf there's a club limit and a ball limit but the club like if you bring a club that can accomplish a shot you, a i feel like you're not going to lose a ton of balls i know you go through like every however many shots the touring pros cycle through balls for whatever reason but you're still gonna be mm-hmm. able to hit your driver the same with all of those whereas in disc golf like the disc is your club and your ball. So, like, if you made it 15, then, like, if you need X amount of backups for this disc and whatever, you might literally be able to carry, like, three or four molds, and they all fly the same way just to make sure that, like, I don't know, I, that's that's my only qualm with it is, like, there's some courses where, and there's sometimes where you just don't predict it. Like, it just slides under leaves and you're, like, thank goodness I have that other straight mid in my bag because that one's gone for no reason. And it's, like, I'm glad I was able to carry, you know. I think if they put a limit, it'd have to be something closer to like 25 or something, where there's enough room for you to have backups. Yeah, nothing crazy over the top, Um, because there is a point where like it's almost a point of diminishing returns too for a player of like why are you carrying more discs?
1: But uh, yeah, at at 20, if you make it 25, then that I think that's why there isn't a bag limit because if you do make it at 25. Then there, there isn't. I think most people can figure out twenty five. You know, Well,
0: maybe it's twenty. I, I just, I'm need. just trying to think of. It needs to be a number that's big enough that you don't have to worry about losing your disc. That like you only have one disc that flies like each shot you need, and then if you lose that one, your whole tournament's screwed. All because of this one little rule mm-hmm. like that. That just doesn't. Yeah. seem... I, I don't like that in disc golf just from that aspect because like where it adds as long as you have your whole bag intact. Like USDGC would be the most terrifying course to attack because you don't, you can't predict what hole you're gonna lose what disc on, and so you, you need like if, if you had to play USDGC and you could only have 15 discs, like there's gonna be rounds where you might get to the final round final hole and you're like, all I've got left is three putters and two mids, and like let's let's do it. I've lost. Well, no, discs. you can
1: you what? Each round you can re. It's not like one no, disc and one I've round. I've played I've can't played with the gold.
0: I've played Winthrop Gold. I'm talking one round. I might get, I might go from 15 down to five. It could happen. Because you also have to think, like, let's say that you throw three discs. That's, let's say you lose. That's a, that's let's, a little outrageous. Well, think of this. Think of this. You got two. You have oversable fairways in the world. Well, think of this though. For
1: the best players in the world. That's a little outrageous. Think of that's this. You got 15 There's discs only to begin with. a couple holes you can lose discs on.
0: Well, think of this though. Listen to this scenario. You got 15 discs to begin with. You got an overstable driver and overstable fairway. Those take up two of your slots. You get to hole five. You throw your overstable driver to go over the water. It goes in the water. Okay. So now it's a headwind. Your only other disc can accomplishment is the overstable fairway, but it doesn't have enough distance. So you try to pump up on it. That goes in the water. Cause like now you would have never put the second overstable distance driver in the water, but because you had to go down to a fairway, now that's in the water. So then you get to hole six and hole six, you need that overstable fairway. You just lost in the water. And so now all of a sudden you got like your flippy fairway and you're still into a headwind, so you're like okay so you throw it cut roll, no, I, boom, I, I water understand. oh no there's three just like I, that i understand it could get r- outrageous so that's
1: where i think it is like i would love i would love to see like in my world it's like i would love to see to where you you would have to get a little more creative right of where um you don't have all these you know because i have Gosh, how many nukes do I have in my bag right now? I have one, two, three, four. I have five nukes in my bag, right? Two are for forehand, three are for backhand. It would be a lot crazier if I only had like two nukes in my bag. Yeah. Because now for me to get that same kind of shot shape, I would have to really adjust the angle of release on it. Um the thing is I don't I don't know what that number is. And it's like if you come up with the number, it's gonna be either oh, that's not enough discs or that's too many. And that's probably why the PDGA is just like bring as made if you wanna have four caddies all with bags and discs, have at it. <laughs> just just make sure you throw your discs in 30 seconds. I
0: wonder if there's a way that like you can have maybe you could name you could have like x amount of slots like overstable distance driver and then you're allowed no that's too that's too
1: hard that's too hard to keep track of that's, the only, the,
3: that's disc- the only solution i can come up with. It, how's it working golf is it just a, well, a you 14 a clubs you know. yeah okay. you have a club clubs. limit but you're not gonna
0: all of a sudden well, lose not- your driver in the water yeah yeah it's yeah. not like it's a driver slot
3: right? no well no because no, there's 14 some clubs. people carry two yeah. drivers in their back
1: yeah some people carry oh, two drivers okay. in their back yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work like golf because you can't lose your club. So that's – that the in disc oh, golf yeah. – well, I mean, you could lose ar- your, club. your club. Well, yeah, I mean, guys do have, like, literally chucked their clubs in legs. No, I was going to say, I, I this, just in, saw in, someone like, throw iron.
0: throw a club in the water.
1: <laughs>
0: there's one guy – this one guy broke
1: his 9-iron and his 8-iron. So when he got to hole 17, this wasn't this tournament. Um, but the island green on hole 17, for a lot of guys, there's, like, a flight to down 9. Yeah. But he broke his 9 – He broke his eight, so all he had left was a seven. So here he is trying to hit a seven iron onto an island green from 143 yards away.
0: It was freaking hilarious. But
1: (laughs) um, I see what you're saying of where it can get out of control. So, all right, play the next one.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, We'll probably play, I believe that this one was a funny one, so I'm not going to play that one because I think that was a silly one. Uh, We'll play one more and then we'll get some comments. This one says actual debate topic. He didn't say who it's from, so we'll just listen to this one.
4: All right, I got two. What about the Disc Golf Pro Tour? Buying up or adapting Yomez, GK Pro, taking all of them within their umbrella, and all of them combined making up one awesome experience, live, post-coverage, everything, all kind of the coverage that you would need, but everything would just be under the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Everybody keeps their job just working for the big mother load. And as far as my debate, I will say Kyle Klein will be player of the year this year, absolute stud. And my dark horse will be Gavin, will, uh, Gavin Rathbun will take down a pro tour victory this year. Mark my words, boys. Consider your words
0: marked. Uh, we can talk obviously more about the first part. Uh, the second part. This was made two well, weeks ago. I
1: feel like we've. I feel like we talked about the first. Part we we've definitely so talked time. about it before.
0: But I I've not. I not haven't gonna heard. Ha- it's not going to happen. Well, I haven't heard the idea of the Pro Tour buying I, up all of them. I literally have said that. Maybe maybe I don't know. That just sounds like that one seems a lot farther out there.
1: I literally have said that, but it will never happen because Jomez.
0: Why they don't would they want to get rid of? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because we said we said that. we would bet Jomez is probably worth more than the Pro Tour right now. Uh, I do yeah, want to check in talking. on his Kyle Klein pick. Yeah, what is? How does Kyle Klein? Do he went twenty fourth uh, oh, in Vegas. No, Kyle Vegas.
1: Like shredded the final day.
0: Twenty fourth Vegas. Shredded the
1: final day.
0: and sixteenth at Waco. Did he say he Indiana, thought he was like
3: world champ?
0: No, he said player of the year. Oh, so not of a year. good start for player of the year. Twenty 16th. But
1: I think he might have had the hot round in the third round at Waco. Look at that. I think he shredded the third round at Waco.
0: He was one I off the of hot got, round. I, yeah, Cole, Cole Redelin shot a fifty-two, and then him and Thomas Gilbert shot fifty-threes.
1: What did what did he shoot the first day?
0: He went 64, 60, 53.
1: See, I think he got a bad draw.
0: He might have. See, he he's might he's
1: someone that he's someone that the first day he kinda got he kinda got.
0: He wasn't, he wasn't able to get through it. Hey, one of so, our team members, Justin no. Rozak, basically had the same tournament as him. Went 64-61-54.
1: Yeah, Justin Rozak uh, shredded of the final day as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Both had really yeah. good final days. I um, but yeah, uh, Kyle Klein for Player of the Year. Not a great first two tournaments for that, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh,
3: Silas, do you have some chats pulled up? Yeah, man. All right, let's go to the chat. Let's go All to the right. chat board. right, first one we got from hunter green he says is calling players on the 30 second rule the best way to speed up the pace of play or should disc golf adopt the usga rules i'll let brody answer this
0: one i'm not the best way to speed up play
3: yeah for me i think
1: i think making it as least awkward as possible for the players is the best and calling someone like, hey man, you're playing slow, or hey, your 30 seconds has been up, super awkward. That's why you see it rarely ever happen. Um, so I think I think just having someone on the grounds from I don't know if it's from the PDGA or the Disc Golf Pro Tour or who, but having kind of a third party come in and say, hey guys, your pace of play um, is pretty slow. You need to, you need to, you need to speed it up. Should and, he have a shot that-
3: clock on him? <laughs> no no timer well
0: i mean it also
1: doesn't help i don't i don't i don't like 30 seconds either i don't like the idea that i don't like the idea that you only have 30 seconds to throw because then whenever someone takes more than 30 seconds then you're like oh look that person's taking more time now obviously some people abuse this rule and will take more than 30 seconds on shots that don't require a lot of time like Mm -hmm. a standard putt a standard upshot those or, or even a tee shot, for example, like those are all shots that you should have an idea of what you're doing and shouldn't take too much time. Now, if you throw a shot somewhere that you've never been before. Yeah. And you never practiced to think that you only have 30 seconds to like get to your lie, figure out what ang- like what lines you have, go out to the fairway to see where you want to like land the disc. Like, all- like there's a lot of things that come into that like then that person should be able to have more time than 30 seconds to come up with it but when something like that does happen everyone else should realize like okay we just took a minute and a half for that shot we need to speed up a little bit to catch back up
0: yeah well i was gonna say it doesn't it also doesn't help that one of the only times in recent memory on coverage it was called which is drew gibson calling gan burr at the tour championship that then drew got like questioned of his like motives behind it when he was making a rules call yeah so it doesn't help too that like the one player who has called it recently got kind of called out by fans and stuff of like and and some media of saying like oh well you know he was just using the rules for his advantage and whatever when he was calling the rule so like you can't have it both ways like it's either it, it puts players in a very awkward spot because you risk also depending on who you're calling it on you risk turning that whole player's fan base against you even if you're making the right call <laughs> when like it, it's one thing if that whole player's fan base turns against the ref which happens all the time in other sports but when that whole fan base turns against another player that just becomes awkward because if yeah, you're someone I, I, like what if luke Humphreys would have called I didn't, even, I didn't even i didn't even think about that oh yeah like what if it was coming down they, the wire and luke Humphreys calls paul on a foot fault or something when it was like a not really a really questionable call like it did happen but it like you know, probably wouldn't have been called by other people, and then that's players start questioning, wild. like, "Oh, Luke was just doing it because he wants to win." And now you have all Paul fans are like, "Well, yeah, well, Luke's kind of a scumbag because he called Paul on this."
1: Yeah, see, that's the wild thing is you would actually. I mean, we've seen disc golf fans talk like that on social media, right? Yeah, of where people think someone's bad, bad person because they are, uh, they are a. a stickler when it comes to the rules mm-hmm. that's a wild thing to be like yeah and that's probably too why a lot of rules just don't even get called because people are afraid of the backlash for them on them for calling on the person that's actually breaking the rules yeah it's so not even a, it's not a, even always a like
0: one. yeah because it's not always the awkwardness on the course because like there's some players that you call them on a rule and they probably they might be like yeah you know that's that's fine it is what it is like i know or whatever, like it might be a chill thing where y'all are still best buds after, but it might, you might turn, you could literally turn a whole fan base against you if it's a call made, yeah, even if it's the right I call, did. it made at the wrong time.
1: I didn't think about that. Yeah, That's it's
0: nuts. It's something, but it's just tough because you can't realistically have a marshal on every single hole. And so I think the way you're talking is kind of like the best bet of like, if there becomes a no, gap, no, you just have
1: someone roaming. Yeah, if yeah, there becomes a, a gap I where it's obvious. Make sure. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: obvious that this card is, you know, now two holes are between them and the group in front of them. Like, hey, y'all need to pick it up. And you just go and give them a little nudge. You're not even calling out a single player. You're just like, hey, y'all as a whole Correct. group need to pick it up. That makes way more sense than, you know, you're having to sit there and stop, watch, and be like, oh boy, you know, I know he broke a rule, but do I say anything? Because I know I'm on coverage and, you know, it could really hurt my career if I say it then i'll become known because i think it's like uh, at I, memorial once johnny mccray called paul and like you can tell i still remember it because i was a paul fan at the time johnny mccray called paul on time because paul went to the bathroom when it was his turn to tea paul was still in the bathroom and johnny waited the full 30 seconds and then penalized paul for it and it became like a whole thing when like technically I mean, johnny mccray ter- was right it was an awful time to make know, the call
1: that's a terrible rule that's uh, a terrible rule. They
0: have since updated that rule to allow for bathroom breaks within the time, but at that point, yeah. they hadn't. Okay, good. And so they've, they've since addressed it, but I'm just saying, like... Let me just pee my pants
1: real quick so I don't get stroked.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But Johnny thought like felt like he was in the right to make that call, but at the time, it made me, watching Memorial, not like Johnny McRae immediately. Because I'm like, what the heck? Like The dude's literally just going to the bathroom, and well. you're going to call him on that? That's well, a more that, extreme example, scenario, but still, that's something yeah, where that I scenario, immediately didn't like him. I like Johnny now. Yeah, that scenario is a little bit.
1: That scenario is a little bit different than someone like throwing OB and you being like, "Hey, you need to take it back here," and yeah. the person being like, "No, I'm way up here." And oh, I saw and that. Did you see for, that
0: uh, in in golf this past weekend?
1: Yeah, that was that was a great conversation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Was, I mean, that happens. That was great in, to watch. That happens in disc golf all the time but mm-hmm. it, I'd never seen it. Like I'd never seen the exact same thing happen in golf where they're just both. They're all like basically gave him a spot and he's like, I know this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I know this isn't it, but I'll take it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. th- that odd it, 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 is it, one thing. It,
1: yeah. That's a little bit, that's a little bit different, but, um, but yeah, when it comes to like actual stroking people and stuff like that, that's where it gets a little tricky
3: yeah.
0: when
1: someone's like actually breaking the rules.
0: Yeah.
3: Nice. What do you think about when people are waiting for the wind to die down? Is that legal? As long as you're in, not uh, anymore. That's a rule yeah. Thing. So
1: that's so that on that one as well. That's one where obviously some people are going to definitely be on the border because I mean there was definitely times where I stood up to the tee and all of a sudden a huge gust happens. When it, when it is crazy windy like that and gusts are happening like that, the worst thing that you can do is either throw thinking the gust is going to stay and then it goes away or like, um, like the gust drops or whatever it is and then like another gust. Like you never want to throw and then a gust happens, right? So... especially on putting, I think that's where you probably see it the most is where someone comes up and has like a 20-footer and then a big gust happens and the person just stands there. I think in that situation, like you can use, I I did it I think once or maybe twice where I got up and my normal routine is very quick putting-wise. I probably don't take more than 10 seconds, but a gust came up and so I just stood there and then I walked off, and then I waited like five seconds, and then I walked back up, and then I went through my routine again. So I think that's where it's like the 30 seconds definitely can come into play because we don't necessarily want someone just standing over their putt for you know 45, a minute, a minute and a half. I mean, a minute and a half is ridiculous. I don't (laughs) think anyone's doing that. But um, yeah, I think that's where it's kind of like – you might have to say like, all right, man, like you got, you got to throw it at some point.
3: Yeah. So the, the like technical time starts when you address your lie, right?
0: Correct. Now, previously you could get an extension of your 30 seconds for a distraction and there wasn't any clarification as to what that distraction could be. Uh, and so there were people that were abusing the rule technically. I mean, not really. They found a loophole in it that would claim the wind is a distraction and then correct be able to just wait it out. I forget how the PDG updated it, but they did update to like speci- specify that like wind is not a distraction. I forget the exact way they worded it, but that's something that was somewhat new to this year. Because I, I played on a card. It was actually with um he was being funny. He didn't actually do it, but it was with uh Robert Leonard, who's going to be the uh, TD for Champions Cup. I played on a card with him mm. years ago at a tournament in North Carolina, and he stepped up on the tee, and the wind started blowing like crazy, and he was like, oh. Man, that wind really distracted me. Better start my time over and then just like walk back and then walk back up. I mean, he easily all of that <laughs> happened and he threw within like 15 seconds. But I just thought it was yeah. a funny joke because I was like, "There's people that that's legit. Like they will." And I've played on cards with them too, where they'll wait it out and be like, "No, that wind's distracting me. I can't play until the wind calms down." And I'm like, "All right, well then we're yeah. gonna we're we gonna be here 20 minutes while you wait for this gust to go away. Like it's it's wind. Just you gotta sometimes just play through it. You can't just." make everyone's round take an eternity we all want to get off the course
1: yeah no i mean there's definitely times too where you know there'll be a lull in the wind and someone's putting out and you're next up and you're like just waiting for them to finally make it and then you like basically run up to your <laughs> lie to putt because it, it it's a drastic drastic difference when you have like a 20 footer It's a drastic difference of, like, a 15-mile-an-hour headwind and, like, a 30-mile-an-hour headwind. Yeah. So, if you can get that 15-mile-an-hour headwind and and get your putt off, I I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't want to. But, again, you got to do it with, like, a timely manner. You can't just be sitting there um, for, you know, 45 seconds, a minute, waiting uh, for the wind to die.
3: No, For sure. Uh, Hunter says they removed the distraction word from the rule. So maybe that's how they just, maybe that's how they got it. Just took distraction
0: completely out. Cause I know the distraction was the biggest yeah. loophole is you would find you'd find a way to call anything a distraction so that you could get longer than thirty seconds. Or if someone called you on it, be like, Oh well, you know, so and so distracted me. So or the the Yeah, I heard
1: a I heard a bottle crinkle in the background. Yeah,
0: or what the leaves crunched under my foot when I stepped and it distracted me. Like there's the distraction word just left so much open ended that you could argue against.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, probably got time for one or two more, Silas. If you got them,
3: uh, let's see. Let's let's hear some good debates in the chat. You
0: got nothing in there? I can find a. We got some more uh, voice memos if we need them. Someone says,
3: Drew Gibson biggest I'm bust just... only got two disc Golf Pro tour wins. Drew Thoughts? Gibson biggest what? B- bust. Big- biggest, biggest bust.
0: bust? He's one for one this season. Yeah, I don't know what don't He's know he's what won a hundred percent of pro tours he's entered this year. How's that a bust? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I think maybe he's saying like in his, his whole if you look at his whole career, but he's still a young guy, so yeah. it's like yeah.
0: he's just I think he's just coming there's, into his prime. Like yeah. he's just getting yeah, where he's a top player. He's
1: figuring Yeah, he's just figuring stuff out. So, like, if he goes, if he doesn't like have a top 10 the rest of the season, then yeah, maybe this, this, you could look at it and be like, wow, he kind of underperformed after Vegas. But he, he seems like someone that should be in contention at a lot of events this year. Yeah,
0: he really started coming into form towards the end of last year. And I mean, obviously, we've only seen him at Vegas, but he was able to win it. So, no reason to think he's not carrying it into this year.
3: All right, we got something from Blake. Paul is not the Michael Jordan of disc golf. He's the magic to Ricky's bird. We have yet to see the Jordan. What do you all think? I've said
0: that many times. Yeah, we're, our sport's too young to have a Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods-esque athlete. We're, we're still in the developmental era of our sport, so we got to go back. I mean, you could even go like, I would call it like Ken Climo, maybe like the Bill Russell and put Yeah, Paul in the... I don't know, the some sort of earlier era than, than Jordan or even, like, you go Paul's, like, um uh, trying to think of great golfers, like Arnold Palmer somewhere in that era where he's just, re- we haven't, disc golf is too young to have our, like, goat goat
3: yet. So at what point are we going to, at what point does that, you, you know what I'm saying? Like- well, you got to have a full touring field for years and years. You got to, like, the goat's
0: got to compete against an entire, a like field of players that is f- their full life is tour and it's a, like the uh, strong field weekend and week I, out i actually disagree i think really? it's
1: when, when the, i think it's when the money is equivalent to other pro sports
0: so then disc golf will never have a goat
1: no you don't think disc golf you don't think disc golf can get it's money close like at least closer to other some of the sports
0: you said equivalent i mean golf just had a 20 million dollar oh, closer
1: 20 Cl- 20- closer <laughs> like closer. let's get to a million first closer. before we start
0: thinking 20 million
1: i'm well i'm saying get closer to where it's it's but, uh, more yeah. competitive i think we're saying the same thing because that's what's going to draw yeah, the you're, field you're getting the cream of the crop yeah, yeah. you're getting the cream of the crop
0: i think that's the biggest difference is like That's why Ken Climo, the biggest argument against him for being the greatest of all time is the field he played against. And I think that as the sport develops, that'll be the biggest argument people have against Paul because the field, today's field, is a lot better than 2015's field. The players at the top might be similar, but there's a lot, there's fewer of them in 2015. Now you have every tournament that goes in, there's 20, 30 players. I think Paul,
1: didn't he say something about baseball where like if he could have played baseball, he would have? Is that, did he, or am I just thinking he said that? No, he
0: made, he made the decision, but he had to make a decision between disc golf and baseball. I think he might've said he felt like he could go farther in disc golf or something along those lines, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. I'm not, I'm not positive. I can't remember, but that, that is kind of the question is like, you know, you got someone that
1: had, you know, a a high schooler that plays disc golf and plays basketball, plays plays disc golf and plays golf, plays disc golf and plays tennis, Plays disc golf and plays football, you know, and feels like they can have a career in both. which one do they pick? yeah, that that is where it's like right now, I think majority of people are probably going to pick the latter, or I guess the former and not disc golf just because it's like there's way more money in those sports than in disc golf. So yeah.
3: okay, here we go. Yeah. another another topic here. should tour stops with one course? be required to have multiple pin locations
1: yeah so i've i've talked about this a little bit of of where does it does it get boring for the viewers at home when there is one course to see the same holes played over and over and over again um and my thought is well first off i don't know if it does i don't know if me watching if i get actually that board seeing it but would it spice it up would you would you get would you would would there be more entertainment to the viewer if you were able to spice it up and um i've talked about this probably before pin placement's kind of tough because not every hole does it work but i think if you did pin placement on the holes that it makes sense and I'm not talking about changing a hole from a par three to par four. I don't like that with pin placements. I think you try to keep the pars yeah, the same. Yeah, just like moving it ever um, so
3: slightly, like
1: yeah, feet to the left. Yeah, right?
3: you know the general vicinity. I I think the other
1: thing you can do is if you if you start making like wider um, wider tee pads, being able to force players to throw on one side of the tee pad versus the other for some holes would make it to where you know it's the forehand line and then the next day they move the tee pad over this way and now it's a backhand line that i think would be like the easiest way of affecting shots and changing shots from day after day without too much uh maintenance too much work so something to think about
0: yeah i like the thing that i think would we haven't experimented a ton with in disc golf and I think would be fascinating is like we call the third day moving day or the second day moving day. It would be fascinating to be able to move the pens into more risk reward positions to where they're attackable, but that comes with the risk. So players in the lead have a bigger, there's a bigger chances for swings on that third day to where you're still on the same course but it, it allows for more movement and chaos to happen. Um, but I, yes. I I haven't thought about the idea you just said of like if the tee pad's wide and then you play the left half on days one and two and the right half on day three and four or whatever to where, I mean, just moving five feet in disc golf sometimes can be drastic. So you're playing from basically the same line. thing, but it's a completely different hole now. That's that's interesting. I've never thought mm-hmm. of that angle.
1: Yep. And I think, I think Belton... Belton also has some really cool green complexes because if you think of uh, think of Waco, for example, right? Um, I'm sure like hole 17 or even hole 18, you can move the pins a little bit with the water and the OB. Um, but like hole 16, if, you, if you're if you familiar with that par four, you would have to like drastically move that pin to make that hole play any different. Mm-hmm. So I think with Belton and you'll see this if you watch the coverage this week, they've they've created, they not only have like natural uh really good natural greens of where it's just like they found good spots to put to put the baskets, but they've also created a lot of their own greens by digging up ground and putting moving earth around. So like something like that, uh that could be that could change a lot having you know the basket that was on top of the hill is now behind the hill
2: yeah um, yeah
1: that could that could change things as far as how, how you would throw your shot into the green but also just the putting and stuff around it really cool thing to think about and something obviously as more money and funds and stuff like that get it thrown in something that will probably be thought about a little bit more no for
0: sure all right, Silas, let's get one more. If you got one more from the chat. One more. Oh, boy.
3: Your best one, I'm Silas. To, Come I'm, on. I need a good one. I need a good one, chat. I need a good one.
1: One more time.
3: Uh, well, while, while we Go
0: for it. No, you got oh, something. You go ahead. I was just going to say, while well, we're I, waiting... I, w- I think we're going to say similar things. <laughs> uh, while we're uh, waiting, I I'm going to just I give a shout-out this weekend. We're going to be in Dallas for the Bogey Bros battle. So if you're in Dallas, if you're in the area... We're going to be playing against Brody's old uh, weekly group he played with the Easy Three group. That's what they're called, right?
1: Who are you actually? Pl- yeah, who are you actually playing? Trevor's been in communication
0: with them. I don't know, but we're going to be playing against them okay. at uh, Trinity Falls BBO and 2.0 at 8:30 a.m. on Saturday. So if is you're in the live area,
2: stream?
0: no, no live stream. It'll be post. We'll be we'll record it and it'll be posted next week. I believe it'll be Tuesday's okay. video. But if you're in the area, feel free to come out, Raz us. Uh, you know, root oh on gosh. your root on Dallas and uh, have some fun there. And then at 2 p.m. we'll be facing off against Trevor's old roommate. Actually, uh, fascinating enough mm. from high sc- from college. Uh, so that'll be a really good time. Pete and I believe the other guy's name's Austin at Harry Myers at 2 p.m. So again, if you're in that area, you can come out and you know root for the home team and uh, go against us. That's it's always more fun that way. If you razz us, it's not really always fun to razz right. local players, but. <laughs>
1: I think you guys lose by more than five if it's Dustin and Phil. I was just gonna ask your. Trevor, uh, Trevor said his
0: game. Trevor said his game is feeling incredible, going in. So I think our undefeated well, streak continues. Well, last time we
1: played, he played, Trevor looked really good. Trevor yeah. looked really good last time he played, and he's normally even but better think, in
0: doubles. So, I mean, oh it's gonna
1: gosh, be tough to beat. The, I think it's gonna. I think the wind's gonna play a huge, huge factor. The, win, if the it's wind. Windy. Could. If, the, if it's windy it's gonna it gets real nasty out there yeah especially with all real the water
0: because i was told they're gonna put it in the gold layout which is what we played i think when we were down there yeah so yeah the water it's, it's a lot
1: of water a lot of water and the, the holes are definitely long
0: yeah so uh yeah if you're in the dallas area be be uh we'd love for you to come out and hang out with us during, during those two rounds but uh if you're not be looking for a lot of content we're also going to go check out the uh texas states course and get that get a practice round filmed out there trevor and i are going to see what that'll we, what we can do. that'll be good because
1: that's a if you get out there early you need you guys might need to actually film two rounds
0: we are we're, so we're actually going to film uh we're going to do i think we're gonna do trevor and i doubles just set a score and see if we can get close to what the hot round's going to be probably can't on the okay, actual course at the actual
1: layout the okay. hybrid and one then just do singles at singles at dogwood
0: well then we got uh there's actually another there's like two other guys um they have a youtube channel i think that are going to meet us there we're going to do a four-man scramble on dogwood i believe in the afternoon which is last oh, year of okay. course and so we're going to do a four-man okay, scramble so. to see if we can get close to what the hot round was last year is the current plan
1: heck yeah so heck yeah okay. lots heck of heck lots heck of content yeah. coming
0: out you gotta play, you can't leave there and not play dogwood. Yeah, dogwood. Trevor's, Trevor's scared of dogwood. I'm not gonna lie to you. Trevor's terrified of it.
1: Um I'm trying to think. It it's it's a more demanding uh where we just played that Liberty uh East Campus. East Campus, yeah. It's a longer, more more demanding course.
0: I think it'll, it'll be a good time. I'm excited for it. I, I mean, plus just
1: yeah,
0: I mean, just traveling will, yeah. will get my spirits high, and so no matter what, I'm being in a good mood in all the videos. I can promise you that. Just just being, heck yeah, just being on the road just makes me happy again. So, all right, Silas, we got we got all
3: one right, more. All right, here we go. First off, we got a super chat from Christian. He says he challenged you at Myers, but you're still acting a bit shook. He challenged me at Myers. Yep, that's news to me. <laughs> consider so, consider
0: me shook so i don't know if i'll have time to face you at myers because like as i just said we're, we're playing a lot of this harry, stuff every day but
3: harry myers is a good course though it is a fun course yeah
0: that's what, we're, we're very excited to, to play there
3: okay question time all right debate topic time uh dustin says uh throwing farther does mean better scores thoughts correct thoughts brody yeah. throwing yes. farther means better scores
0: yeah i mean the yes. biggest i think the biggest advantage of throwing farther isn't necessarily your disc trave- traveling farther <laughs> but it's the shot selection that it opens up cuz now you can throw a putter a mid all that farther
3: but what if you can I mean, I mean, what if you can I've, throw far I've, but you can't putt well, you're going to you be able to get up and down camp, from a hundred yeah, like you you're, be able to get up and down from 100 not, feet. I'm a just better. trying to play devil's advocate here.
1: I will disagree though with why Hunter thinks it's better though. I think oh, the actual reason of why it's better is because it gives you more opportunities to to get birdies. So, um of course like Belton, for example, a lot of a lot of decently long par 3s just from last year to this year Last year, there was multiple holes where I don't know if I, I don't think I could have gotten to them. And this year, I can get to everything, forehand and backhand. So I I think that's what makes a big difference is I'm playing this course and I can birdie 18 holes. If I could only throw 425 feet and I'm playing this course, I now can only birdie 12 holes. Well, I think
0: we're we're saying a similar thing because like there's also if the hole. What you're saying is
3: like,
1: yeah, what you're saying is like, you know, if it's a 300 foot hole and you have to throw a fairway driver and I'm able to throw a putter, I'm going to be more. What you're saying is true. You'll be able to birdie more often
0: than me. uh, Yeah. Because it's the same thing of like a 425 foot hole. I have to throw like a full power flex. You can just throw a hyzer. You're going to birdie it more than me.
1: Yeah, hole one. Hole one at Belton's a perfect example. It's like a it's a four hundred foot hole, and uh, it has like kind of some bushes, trees on the left, some bushes and trees on the right. So you can throw like this like gap shot through, mm-hmm. or you can just throw a big hyzer over top of everything. Yeah. And the people that can throw a big hyzer over the top of everything are going to birdie that way more often than the person throwing the straight shot. But.
3: Yeah, Sue had a good example. She said, uh, example of Paige Pierce. Um, yeah. Just like in the FPO field as a whole. Yeah. Just out driving. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's. I think, I think the FPO does definitely have an issue with some courses where they just – uh, juice up the stroke, right? And instead of actually making the different tee pads for the FPO, they just say, "Okay, well, you guys just play this as a par four. I yeah. think I think that makes it to where um, distance actually comes into play a lot for some holes, and then for some holes, it, it negates it a little bit. But yeah, it's it's. That I think goes, you're starting to see. Go ahead.
3: Uh, I was gonna say that kind of goes back to the Evelina. Um, uh, evelina's putting percentage uh in the last tournament because if
1: evelina
3: if evelina could just
1: like hunter you probably watched more fpo this week than i did but if evelina i feel like if she could like putt okay like yeah. not even good just like okay i think she like runs away with these last two tournaments
0: well, especially Waco. No, Waco for sure, because she was leading the tournament through two rounds with zero percent putting. Period. You don't think she would have won Vegas? Uh, Vegas. I have to. I have to look back because I don't. I don't fully remember what all went down at Vegas. Um, I thought her
1: putting was really bad at Vegas. It was. Too. It
0: was. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know how many strokes it cost her. Like in Waco, it's a clear. It was clear. Like I think it cost her. Close, I think it was eighteen strokes, strokes gained putting of Valerie to Evelina in Waco. I believe it was eighteen, and like her, her gain, t- her, her gain tee to green. I mean, she Jeez. was like gain T to green. She was almost ten strokes clear of the field, and how good she was throwing. That's why she was in, even in contention. But putting, she just, she was the worst, oh. worst uh, gain strokes putting. She was last place, and she was leading the tournament at one point. That's crazy man yeah that's yeah. all it was i
1: think with her too i think with her too it's a little bit different because it's not just someone that's getting because obviously she's getting a whole lot of a whole lot of chances because of how well she throws yeah but with her i don't think it's like oh man she just can't make that you know 30 30 footers like 30 foot 27 footers like those are killing her like she she's struggling at like 15 yeah no
0: it's a it's a full mental thing it's not like it's not like she just needs to grind out 25 footers it's like putts that you would like she could she could easily make in practice putting she probably doesn't miss them from 15 feet it's just something with a tournament right now she'll have to she has to find a way to reset I, I remember on GripLocked, I said something about maybe she should switch putters, and then someone pointed out to me that she did switch putters between Vegas and Waco. So that's because, like oh. for me, that's been the biggest mental reset for me when I'm having awful putting stretches. Is I just throw my old putters away and find a new mold because I have no bad memories with that mold, but that's,
1: might not I work. I think right her room. form. I don't. I think her form is is kind of it, it, it allows. It allows for her to have a really bad putting day. Yeah. So like in the if, chat said it, she's like,
3: got like a big hyzer putt. Yes, she
1: does. She puts with a lot of hyzer, and especially obviously in the wind, that's not great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I hope like it's we it's weird because we were just talking about this last last podcast, right? Of like swing coaches and stuff. Uh huh. This is where like this would this would be the perfect time. To be able to have someone, because right now she has to probably turn to either her peers or other people on her on tour, yeah, and be like, "Hey, can you help me?" And those people gotta be like, "Well, if I help you, you're probably just gonna beat me all the time." But uh, this is where, like, I think having someone, having a coach or something, could be a huge, huge benefit to her because. Getting someone in your ear and being like, hey, let's work on this. Let's grind this out. And just being able to see it, she works through her putting woes, her putting issues right now. And, you know, she's going to put her, I mean, heck, she put herself in contention at this tournament. And she wasn't putting well at all. So it's like, it's not even like, oh, she needs a putt better to be into contention. It's like she's in contention and she's not putting. Good. She just needs a putt yeah. better so, to
0: win. That's it. Yeah. Yeah yeah And it's it, like, should, gosh, it should and almost be an all, encouraging thing because it's like all i gotta do is figure this out this one part out right. it's not, it's not even, even like figure I, it out i, I, I just got to like, get slightly better at it
1: yeah it's not even like i got to get better at 30 footers like we talked about it's literally just like when i'm 10 15 feet away i gotta figure out how to get that in the basket
0: yeah maybe who was it uh there's some pro I, I feel like it was an fpo player when they started doing their tap ins, they were struggling with the same thing, and so they just started like basketball shooting it, because they could just uh, they would just step uh, it up and Jennifer just Jennifer Allen chuck it. Yeah, Jennifer I mean Allen. <laughs> at, at this point, I'm trying everything. I'm st- at the next tournament, yeah. I'm stepping up I mean, and I'm getting to a 15 footer and I'm just you, chucking it, hoping it's in. Do I sneaky teacher the Scoob? Maybe, maybe that's what's necessary. Maybe that's what's needed.
1: Like just like a it's just like a dart move, just like dart dart Scoobs in there.
0: Yeah, just just. just. Something.
1: I don't know. So hopefully, hopefully she can figure it out. Hopefully she can figure it out because uh, we didn't really obviously talk too much about FPO, but um, it looked exciting. It was from yeah. what yeah. I saw after the fact. It looked like it was there was some drama coming down the wire. So that's yeah. always fun. We that's covered
0: it. Uh, we covered it on Grip but Valerie Mandahano had some of the very very clutch shots very clutch putts and especially her shot 17. on 17 was yeah wild. Un- unreal. Unreal. Why, was she why was she going for that they locked up the tournament what do you mean she's curious. No, oh i know but it was insane like, it was amazing she, i don't think she needed i mean obviously i think she was just ice cold it. she's just like i'm not messing this shot up why would i why would i do anything else <laughs>
1: I think the other thing too is that is a really good design hole because there isn't an easy layup. No, like there isn't a. Oh well, I'm just going to throw 200 foot because even if you just like lay up to the bottom of the hill, there's like a chance of it picking up and rolling into the water. Yeah, well, think how so, much, much more mean,
0: stupid I, you'd look if you tried throwing like a little putter layup and that went ob versus just go ob by well, the that's basket. What, that's what. That's what Cameron
1: Smith did in the p uh, the players. He he was he he hit a terrible. Dr- he was like winning by two on eighteen. hits a terrible drive and was like, all right, I'm just gonna punch out to the fairway. And his punch out went all the way through the fairway into the water. Jeez. But but then he was just ice cold and just hit his next shot to like two feet. So oh. it ended up not mattering. But but the val- that Valerie throw on seventeen, I the people watching it, I don't think really realize. Just how good of a backhand. Yeah. Whenever it when anyone throws Kale, Kale throws backhand on that hole. Um I'm trying to think who else I saw. There's a couple go- guys that just obviously don't have forehands that they feel comfortable with. So they're throwing backhands. And it's just like when I see people freaking throw that shot, I don't think people realize just how difficult of a shot that is. And then on top of it, with the wind that came into yeah. it. She's throwing and to the a headwind of like, yeah, the pressure of like the tournament on the line too,
0: man. It was incredible.
1: Yeah, she she uh, she did not throw that. Sue just said I saw Sue say that she didn't practice that throw. I played a practice round with her, and she was not throwing a backhand there. She was throwing a forehand.
0: Must have been the the wind so. made her uncomfortable with the forehand or something. Yeah, Who knows? crazy. But, uh but, well. Holy. you got anything to wrap the show up with?
1: Um, no, just, uh, tune into the silver series. I don't think they do this one live though. I, I think, think the final round,
0: final round, I believe is live, but everything else is post. Final round is live. Everything else is post. Um,
1: it's kind of nuts too. Cause like just last year, like silver series was just kind of like a, eh, like obviously it was starting to pick up and like some players, like the field here is not obviously as good as Waco and Vegas pretty close but there still are there still are a lot of a lot of top guys here i think it's just the bottom uh, the bottom of the field is a little bit spread out a little yeah. bit more yeah um then 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 the then the top half is different but uh yeah i think B- Belton is definitely one of my favorite courses on tour um so definitely definitely tune in and watch um i've got a video with ezra coming out probably tomorrow where we do like a full preview of the course um and then i'll probably film i kind of want to either film uh a video kind of tutorial on either like the step putt or like the forehand of like what i've been working on um but other than that the tournament starts friday so i've got uh two more days of practice to get in Tomorrow looks like a beautiful day, so I'm, I'm excited for that and uh, just hoping to go out and play some good disc golf this week. Well, there you have it. Well,
3: so Brandon's rooting for you, man. He said, Brody, top five this week. So
1: mm. There you go. You got that in hey, it on your side. I, I would, that, would be, that would be lovely. I would take that.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed. Whether you're here watching live or listening to us in post-production on uh Spotify. Apple Play, anywhere you normally get your podcast. We really appreciate it. If you are listening on one of the audio platforms, please go ahead and leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. We take all that critique to heart and use it to try to make the show as good as possible. But uh, other than that, we'll be back here, same time, same place, next week with some more fresh debate topics to go over and talk about what went down at Belton. We'll See you then.